What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. On the line with us is Professor Richard Wolff, the economist, co-founder of Democracy at Work, author of numerous books. His latest, The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself, democracyatwork.info and rdwolf with two fs.com. His website's ProfWolf, his Twitter handle, P-R-O-F-W-O-L-F-F. Professor Wolff, welcome back. There was a big ballot measure in California that passed that the gig economy companies, principally Uber and Lyft, had put apparently uh, over $100 million into promoting. The opposition was able to raise a couple million dollars, the unions, I think maybe $20 million to fight it, but they were up against a huge pile of cash. Can you tell us about what that ballot measure was and why it's of consequence to every working person in America? Yes, I'd be glad to, and I'm really I'm grateful that you are giving it this kind of attention, Tom. It really deserves it. The way to understand it, again, is as historically. You know, we live in a country where over the last 150 to 200 years, all kinds of men and women have struggled in every part of this country to develop what we generally call labor protection legislation, rules that say an employer has to pay a worker when the worker works, that you can't abuse working people, that you can't demand that they work overtime without compensating them extra for it, that you can't sexually harass them, and on and on and on and on. All of those laws that were fought for were fought for at a time when everyone generally understood you divided the people in the economic sphere into the employer a small number of people and the employees the vast rest of us and so there were these built-up protections what the election accomplished led by uber and lyft as you quite rightly say but other companies were involved here too was an attempt to avoid workers who have these built-up legislated protections. By calling a worker not a worker, not an employee, the legislation doesn't cover them. By calling them instead an independent contractor, hence the phrase gig economy, the idea being you're like a person who signs up to do a gig, gets paid for the service, but you're not in the employee of whoever you contract with. This legalistic differentiation is worth 
the roughly 200 million, which is what I've seen as the number, that Uber, Lyft, and the other companies poured into this. And I think the important economics here is that the enormous profits Uber and Lyft make are largely the consequence that they don't have the costs that would be involved if you had to protect workers in the ways that, as I said, 200 years of labor legislation built up. So what this means is now every other state, because this was just an election in California where this was decided, all the other 49 states are now going to be targets to go through the same procedure. And all other service industries are going to be given an enormous incentive to try to get laws passed in the same way, spending the same bundles of money, basically to deprive the American working class, or at least a large portion of it that works in services, of the protections that their parents and grandparents fought so hard for. It is a very bad sign of a downward direction of the standard of living of American workers because they're not going to be protected. They're not going to be safeguarded in the ways that they knew they had to, which is why those battles were fought in the past. So these protections for workers that have been put into law over the last couple hundred years in the United States, step by painful step, in some cases, lawsuit by painful lawsuit, in most cases, legislation that these guys want to do away with. These have been systematically eroded step by step. I mean, this is the final process. I would argue, not necessarily final, but this is the most recent process that really started in 1980 with the Reagan administration and the adoption of neoliberalism as the official economic and political strategy of the United States. And, you know, and was maintained during the Clinton and, and Bush and Obama administrations and Trump administrations as well and was amplified by a whole series of Supreme Court decisions that also struck down workers' rights. And the thing that baffles me about all of this, Professor Richard Wolff, is that roughly half of the American electorate not only think that's fine, they celebrate it. Now, I realize that that worldview has been promoted relentlessly on right-wing talk radio that reaches tens of millions of Americans every single day all across the United States for 40 years now. That's part of the problem. But why do you think that is? How is it that the majority of America, or not the majority, but about half of the American workforce who are voting are saying, yeah, take away our protections. We want to go with the Republicans. Well, you know, the Republicans learned and the conservatives learned in the bitter experience, bitter for them, of what happened in the 1930s and 40s and 50s when you had a mobilized labor movement, when you had a mobilized left wing in America. They learned what that could achieve. Social Security, unemployment compensation, minimum wage, government jobs, anti-discrimination laws, all kinds of things could be accomplished if the working class was mobilized and they could make the employers and the rich people pay at least a significant portion of this. And the reaction, we're living through, it's our lifetimes, Tom, yours and mine, living through the rolling back of that New Deal, the rolling back 
of all of that. And in the process, the conservatives and Republicans learned you can't face the issue on the surface. If you put it up to people, look, do you want to help other working people? You know, they still vote for it. Florida voted to raise the minimum wage. Portland, Maine voted to institute rent control and time and a half for work during a pandemic. Wonderful progressive things put on the ballot, one despite overwhelming money spent against it. If you put it clearly, you still get the majority of Americans. But that's not what the Republicans do. They talk about freedom. They demonize unions. They tell stories written by the PR departments of Uber and Lyft about how this will be a wonderful benefit for poor people. They've learned you have to tell a story. And the ultimate storyteller who literally makes it up as he goes along is Mr. Trump, who is, in a sense, the final form of this fantasy of a different way of looking at the world to get the people to vote in the way we are upset about. So when Democratic administrations come along, we had Clinton, we had Obama that were ambivalent about this. The Obama administration actually was trying their labor department was trying to force Uber and Lyft to deal with these folks as employees. But, you know, it wasn't at the top of their list. But, you know, they made an effort. Should, for example, the Biden administration go soft on this, how should the American people respond? They should respond the way they should have with Obama. I mean, the Democratic Party is caught in an unbelievable contradiction that they don't want to talk about. On the one hand, you go hat in hand to corporations and the rich asking for donations. If you're doing that, then how are you going to mobilize the working class, which is the adversary of those corporations and is the victim of those corporate dealings? You can't champion the working class if you're going with your hat in hand to the employers of that working class. The Republicans don't have that problem. They go get the donations, and they don't want to champion the working class. On the contrary, they champion repression of the working class. So they don't have a contradiction comparable to the one that the Democrats do. I think that's the core issue. Yeah, I think you're right. Professor Richard Wolff, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Wolff. It's great having you on. Thank you, Tom. Pauline in Los Angeles. Hey, Pauline, what's on your mind today? We are going to have to work very hard just to hold the line. And, you know, the Republicans are set to have still a lot more victories in the next time around. So it's I think that we have to use a lot of the tools that are available to us, that are still available to us and that the Republicans obviously use. And that means we are going to have to seek out money and seek out donors heavily and start using PACs and start using some dark money to fund this idea, let's say, of getting some left-wing radio out there, how to get that funded. You know, we're going to have to rely on the same things that the Republicans rely on to accomplish these things, because right now things are going to be really bad and Biden's going to be struggling a lot. It's a business opportunity for left-wing entrepreneurs, Pauline. I'm making a living doing this radio show. It's it's not, this isn't rocket science. If, you know, some progressive but you're, business but you're owners... Already, uh, you're already established, though, and right now we're going, we have this terrible economy now. A lot of people are going to be suffering. So I think that I think that to offset it, not that I'm saying that we should just go and be what we were doing and rely on just corporate Democrats. I'm not saying that we should just go to that. I'm just saying that we have to be savvy and also be able to use some of the tools that are going to help us hold the line 
Because I think that that's more. We're I not, think one of the things that we need to look at, Pauline, is how much of all of, of this United. flood of money that came into Democratic candidates came from individual donors versus corporations or fat cats. I and I'm guessing that, that it's going to be really high individual donors. Still well, needs it needs to, to expand, to but it's not just about the money. It's about the message. You know, Democrats spent exactly, a billion dollars basically saying Donald Trump is evil rather than saying we are going to do the Green New Deal and we are going to give everybody Medicare. I think that had Democrats run on an actual progressive message, this would have been a blowout. Now, I realize that the, the corporate Democrats will tell you that I am naive. I don't think I am. John in Los Angeles. Hey, John, what's up? Tom, I think you are getting better when you talk tough or controversial or confrontational. That is a good thing, because to do otherwise and be nice and kind and sweet like Gore or Biden would want us to be, give tacit approval for the kind of nonsense, saying that sweetly and nicely, that's going on right now in this country. Thank you. The malarkey. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Thank you, John. Michael in Los Angeles, California. Hey, Michael, what's up? You're absolutely right about putting pressure on Biden. The only problem is that we've got no leverage now, now that he's in. I mean, what can we do to get him to do what we want? I guess we have to talk to our local officials and our elected... Speak uh, out loudly. First of all, let's wait until he's actually been declared president. <laughs> I'm jumping the gun here a little bit. But once that happens, the vast majority of Americans are totally in favor of the progressive set of goals. The Fox poll last week, 71% of Americans want a national health care program. The vast majority of Americans want green jobs. They want something, if you don't call it the Green New Deal, but you describe it, the vast majority of Americans want it. The vast majority of Americans think student debt shouldn't be a thing in the United States. And by the way, it wasn't 30 years ago. The vast majority of Americans are fully supportive of the progressive agenda. They think Social Security should be strengthened. They think the taxes on the rich should be increased. They think corporations should start paying taxes. The vast majority of Americans support these positions. Obviously, Republicans don't. I think that the Democrats need to run on this stuff. They weren't putting anything in their literature when they asked for money. Say someone was running for senator. They would just say how bad Trump was. And I, I don't care how bad Trump is. I know how bad he is. I want to know what they're going to do. Yeah, Americans want something to vote for. And that's why, you know, the squad was all reelected overwhelmingly, for example. That's why progressives tend to do really well in elections. And so-called moderate Democrats, eh, not so much. I mean, you know, yes, it depends on the district. And there may be some districts where the occasional moderate Democrat actually has the support of a lot of Republican voters. But really, if you really want to fight this, you need to be Lyndon Johnson or Franklin Roosevelt. You need to be a real progressive. Being a milquetoast Democrat just doesn't work. And I know. David, I got to run, but thank you for the call. Tim in Hendersonville, North Carolina. Hey, Tim, what's up? We need to implode the DNA of the DNC. And having been an artist and been in marketing for you know nearly 40 years, you know, it was Andrew Jackson, who was the, the great Indian killer, that we get the icon of the jackass, the donkey from. He used that. We need to take and get rid of the imagery. And let's adopt a symbol like the American eagle. Can you imagine what the conservatives would do if the Democrats had the symbol of the American eagle or the bald eagle or a great, big, emboldened, powerful-looking bird symbol? I mean, what would they do? Hmm. Take a bear over their... You know, it, it, visualization right now is everything. Imagery is everything in marketing. 
if we get rid of the donkey, which has been characterized to death, satirized to death, and reestablish the DNC as something a lot more tangible and a lot more serious, I think we're going to do a lot better. We also, until we get rid of the two-party system, we're always going to have a divided country. We're either ones or zeros. It's binary. It's us or them. Yeah. There's no other There is a way There's to no solve that problem, about. Tim, and that's, that's with instant runoff voting, which Maine has put into place. And I think is one of the reasons why Susan Collins can win the vote and Donald Trump can lose. Instant runoff voting is a really important innovation that Australia and New Zealand adopted. They had a political system very similar to ours that produced a two-party outcome. You'll still tend to have a couple of dominant parties, but, but we're not going to flip into a parliamentary system. But I think that that's a good... Your point is excellent. Those are directions we really need to think about looking at. Thank you very much for the call. John and Eugene. Hey, John, what's up? First of all, I wanted to thank you for the great books you wrote on ADHD. That helped our family tremendously with one of our kids who was going through that. Very informative books and well-written, too. Just thank listening you. to you today and reflecting on this, this election, it seems to me, uh, first of all, the uh, polling is uh, cannot be achieved in this age, you know, because when you think about it, you know, the essence of voting is that it's a private vote. It's a private statement. And, uh, you know, these pollsters calling people up and saying, hey, M- Mr. Smith on Oak Street, we've got your name and your phone number here. Who are you going to vote for? The upstanding guy without the criminal record or the guy who's a criminal and a racist? You know, and people just don't answer that question. That's the flaw in polling when you have people like Trump and his ilk running. Getting back to your comment on Air America, which was a great station, we listened to it. What the Dems sorely need, wasted money, went to some of these races where they really didn't have a chance, apparently, of of winning. You look at all the funds that went that way. What the Dems really need is is a media outlet. You know, they need a TV network course a radio show i'm watching you on the free speech tv it's a good format some of the other shows really need some work just in the production area but what the dems really need to do is leverage their power the progressive caucus in the house and the senate the progressives in the senate need to go to their leadership and say listen we want a democratic media fund we need a media outlet like our opposition has because how in the world does a guy like trump get 48 percent of the population after his performance he gets there with 1500 radio stations and fox news right right you know and a massive uh, operation on facebook exactly and that's what the dems should be funding instead of funding Instead of buying ads on TV networks. You made your point. You made it very well. Thank you. Karen in Waynesville, North Carolina. Hey, Karen, what's up? If the Senate ends up in a 50-50 tie, how are the committee chairs and what's the structure when it's a 50-50 tie? That's a really good question. I do not know the answer to it, Karen. Uh I'm sorry. I'm I'm not sure it happened. Yeah, it is yeah. a possibility. There's an even number of senators. It's entirely a possibility. Yeah. I'm guessing that because the tie-breaking vote is the vice president, which in this case would be Kamala Harris, assuming that Biden wins, that mm-hmm. that means that the Senate is considered to be a Democratic majority, and that would put Chuck Schumer or whoever the Democrats elect as their majority leader into that seat. Yeah. But, you know, we're going to have to pick up a couple of seats here, ideally two of them in Georgia. That would do it. Yeah. The ABC affiliate in Asheville, WLOS, Mm -hmm. says that 
Tom Tillis congratulated himself on the victory too early, and that is not totally decided yet. There's too many outstanding votes. So there is a slight possibility that Cal Cunningham, the Democrat, can catch up and defeat him. And this is just like two years ago, where it took us a week and a half to figure out that we'd had progressive and Democratic victories all over the country because the mail-in votes were coming in slow. I mean, we're running on an antiquated electoral system that, particularly during the pandemic, relies heavily on the U.S. mail, which we've seen now can be corrupted. We need to come into the 21st century. Karen, thank you. Thank you for the call. Jeremy in Fairfax, Virginia. Hey, Jeremy, what's up? Hi, Tom. I was wondering if you saw the recent Axios article this morning about how Mitch McConnell's already planning to, if he retains the majority, to blocking Biden cabinet appointments right from the get-go, and unless they're more... Yeah, I centrist. talked about that earlier. I think Biden needs to take a page from Trump and put acting people into his cabinet rather than worrying about what Mitch McConnell has to say. Yeah, I agree with that, because you can't let Mitch McConnell hinder you right off the bat. And it's looking increasingly likely that we're going to have two runoffs in Georgia. And I don't know how you feel about this, Tom, but I have faith in the African-Americans in Atlanta to show out. Yeah, I'm with you, Jeremy. I am absolutely with you. Nancy in Tucson, Arizona. Hey, Nancy, what's on your mind today? Thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. First of all, I wanted to say that I'm from Tucson, which is in southern Arizona, and we are the uh, Democratic stronghold. We've tried, to, we've tried to secede from the rest of Arizona, but haven't been successful. And we never get any uh, media, what's going on in Arizona. It's always just like super conservative, and it's not. That's not what I wanted to talk it's about. It's a college well, it's, and not only that, but there's an air base here. There's all sorts of research at the University of Arizona. But anyway, that isn't really what I wanted to talk about. It was about uh, democratic messaging, which you've talked about somewhat today. And I just thought, for instance, having Putin and Trump standing next to each other, maybe a 10-second TV ad, and say, un-American. I just don't know why that wasn't pushed. You know, the Erdogan going after the Kurds after Donald Trump did a victory lap of, look, we, you know, beat ISIS in Syria. Jared Kushner getting a $100 billion loan from China, un-American. I think Democratic messaging, it's just not as good. Where Republicans, for instance, kept saying socialism, socialism, socialism. And in advertising, as you know, you keep repeating something that gets stuck. And Democrats yeah. don't do that. Yeah. Um, yes, you're right. And this is this goes back to advice that Hitler's propaganda. It was Joseph Goebbels uh, that Goebbels gave, which is boil your message down to three things and repeat them relentlessly. And if you're going to lie, make it a big lie. And the Republican Party has relentlessly gone with this for years. And the Democratic Party has been scattered all over the place in terms of messaging and has had a, a really good high level commitment to never telling lies, which I'm not saying it's not working out for them, but they need to be pushing back against the lies Republicans are telling. We've got one party who has committed itself. The Republican Party has committed itself to spreading falsehoods, spreading fear, spreading hate and suppressing votes. And then you've got the Democratic Party that has committed itself to working on, on behalf of worker protections, environmental protections, giving everybody the right to participate in our elections and telling the truth. 
And that contrast is not well known to most Americans. 66 million Americans went out today and said, yeah, we're going to vote for the liar. We're going to vote for the party that wants to destroy our Social Security and Medicare. They obviously don't know the agenda of the Republican Party. And it's on the Democrats to inform them and to use all the vehicles available to them to inform them. And that includes radio, television, and and Facebook in a big way. You know, Facebook has become the modern day battleground. This is where the 2016 election was decided on Facebook. You know, with a little help from Russians and probably Iranians and North Koreans and God only knows who else. But Democrats need to be fighting. Tom Harmon here with you. Uh, well, in my business, the radio business, uh, we just lost somebody. Most of my listeners probably are not familiar with religious broadcasting across the United States, but it's actually as big as, and maybe bigger, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't seen numbers in a long time, in any case, nearly as big as right-wing talk radio across America. Erwin Baxter was the host of a program that he started back in 1991 through his ministry, End Time Ministries. It was called Politics and Religion, and it was on National Prophecy Radio, syndicated across the United States. He was most recently praising Donald Trump for moving the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem because that would bring about the rapture. That would bring about the biblical apocalypse and the end times. He also said that the coronavirus is the result of people having premarital sex, and he kind of endorsed Donald Trump's theory that we should just let it run through the population, no big deal. Erwin Baxter just died of COVID. His ministry announced with deep grief that the pastor had died on Tuesday. It happens, right? It happens. Every now and then you come up against reality. Jacqueline in Northridge, California. Hey, Jacqueline, what's up? Hi there. Back to evil right-wing radio, okay? I'm in Los Angeles area. There's a of expat Iranians here. My best friend, been here for 25 years, she can vote, so can most of her friends. There is a very large right-wing radio station that she listens to. She's a very smart woman, and she's, like I said, she's been here for years, but she came over last night and said, have you heard that the Republicans are being given Sharpies at polling stations, so their votes aren't counting? And I said, that's right. ridiculous. And, and she listens to this right-wing, Farsi radio station. All of her Persian friends do as well. And they come out with these talking points time after time. She was listening in the car on the radio on her way back from work. And she believes And they're doing that in Spanish language radio, too. And this is the conspiracy theory that Don Jr. and Eric have been promoting, that they're giving Republicans Sharpies to vote. And, you know, it's just not true. In Arizona, the, the Secretary of State said if they used Sharpies, they would be read also. I mean, you know, it's crazy. Jacqueline, I got to run, but thank you. Thanks for the report. I didn't realize that, you know, Farsi radio was a thing in in uh, in, in California. It's not surprising, but uh, thank you. Thanks for the heads up. The right wing, these right wing billionaires have been extending their fingers into every little aspect of America. You're it's amazing. To Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Jerry in San Francisco. Hey, Jerry, what's on your mind today? The negative effects of uh, right-wing hate radio upon the general populace and the need for a progressive radio network to counteract that, and I'm 100% behind that idea. I just think that 
you know, there's an advantage with the hate radio. You know, it's not there to inform, it's there to incite. You don't have to really have any prior knowledge coming into these discussions with uh, these folks. You know, it's like the Electoral College is Bob Rule, the COVID is a hoax. With your program, you have to have some prior knowledge. And, and you, I just love how you take on somebody who calls your program from the right and he says, you know, socialist, I'm, I'm against Biden because he's a socialist. And you break that down calmly. It's not a lot of yelling. It's, it's something that's really, I savor when I listen to that stuff because, you know, I, I come with some knowledge about these issues. I just think that so many people are conditioned to that kind of screaming, whether it's on CNN between, you know, whoever, or ESPN with football or or whatever. It's just, it seems to me that any kind of issue that's presented, it's presented in black and white. And this is why I really enjoy your program, because I don't mean people coming with prior knowledge where you have the prior knowledge of psychology like Dr. Frank or prior knowledge of the economy like Dr. Wolf. But you have to come and understand your program with some kind of knowledge, and then it becomes entertaining. But somebody who's used to saying, in speaking in thick, frozen terms about this is this and that is that, they're not going to be entertained by uh, progressive radio. Well, this is part of the problem that we have with the with the political dialogue in the United States, Jerry. And I think you, you put your finger on it. You know, thank you for the kind words about this show. Those are not necessary, but. CNN used to have this show, Crossfire, and Jon Stewart went on there and said, you guys are hurting America. And he killed that show by doing that. Yeah. And so now they've got these somewhat more informed conversations where Rick Santorum is the continual apologist for the hard right. And by and large, Van Jones is the guy talking on behalf of the left. I can watch that occasionally. I mean, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, three times out of five anyway, Santorum will say something and I'm just like, okay, that's it. I'm out of here. But but at least they're not shouting at each other. And I think that's an important first step. My goal is to, you know, not only have an informative program, but also to model behavior for people because we all have right wingers in our families or in our place (laughs) of work. And we have to figure out ways to have a conversation with them. Because if we don't, I mean, you know, what are we going to go to war with our brother-in-law? I mean, you know, really? Charlotte in Ramona, California. Hey, Charlotte, what's on your mind today? I was wondering whether or not you'd had a chance to read the editorial in the New York Times by Charles Blow. He was talking about how this time around more people that are LGBTQ and more black participants have voted for Trump than last time around. And I'm wondering why Mm. you think that is. Yeah. Well, there has been effort, a fairly substantial effort, actually, by the Republican Party and by, in particular, some of the dark money donors associated with the Republican Party to do outreach to black men in particular, specifically, and to Hispanic men. They're using Spanish language radio for the Hispanic men, and they're using a variety of methods, principally Facebook, for black men. And, you know, the message are, you know, the messages vary uh, depending on the market. But, you know, what would be interesting is if anybody who is listening to me has had an opportunity to listen to local right wing radio and let us know what they're hearing, you know, whether it's particularly if you speak Spanish, Spanish language radio, or if you're listening to, to, to shows, radio shows that have large black audiences that are not progressive shows to let us know, or what you're seeing on Facebook. But uh, it, that's, 
You know, this is the result of a very serious outreach effort that they've been doing for some time, Charlotte. It's not going to go away. It's going to get bigger and bigger, and particularly among Hispanics, but it's also large in the African-American community. Andrew in Riverside, California. Hey, Andrew, what's up? It seems like the right-wing cult phenomenon is caused by a lack of critical thinking on the behalf of many Americans. And I'm wondering if you agree with that, what's causing that, and how we can offset that. And it seems like, I don't listen to right-wing talk radio, I'm wondering if their format is like your show, because it seems like having callers call in really contributes to critical thinking. We have lots of different ideas being exchanged, and you, uh, given your intelligent view on, on these ideas that come through, and we get that on uh, Pacifica Radio, KPFK, KPFA, and I'm wondering what you think about that. I think that, A, that there's been a loss of critical thinking ever since Reagan started gutting our education systems across the country, and B, that when you are deeply in a cult, even the smartest person, even the person who has great critical thinking skills, if they have bought into a cult, they are, at least over the short term, lost. And that's what's happened. These guys are using cult. The Republicans and the conservatives are using cult strategies to bring people into their cult. You basically have to deal with the disinformation item by item, you know. So what is it that you're believing now? You know, what did you hear? Here's why that's not true. And by the way, did you know the group, the right-wing groups in the United States that are funding Spanish language radio specifically to try to get you to vote for Republicans who want to do away with your health care, who want to do away with your Social Security, who want to do away with unemployment insurance, who want to cut your wages? Republicans, the Trump tax cut in 2017, while it cut taxes on working people over between now and 2027 is going to radically increase taxes on anybody who makes under $70,000 a year. I mean, just, you know, lay it out, give them the proverbial truth sandwich and tell them what's going on. It's a, it's a tough one because if, if it's the only station in town, I mean, a lot of rural America, the only Spanish language station that people can hear, you know, they play music, they do talk and it's right wing and increasingly. There's not an alternative. There's no place to go, you know, and that's the tough one. And and this is what, you know, all of us are doing all the time with all the disinformation that's flooding into our system. The lies that are coming out of right wing hate radio and the stuff that's coming out of Fox News. And and it's just seeded all over the Internet. Facebook is rich with it, filled with it. This kind of disinformation, we've got to do something about it. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And, uh, you know, deep questions here. Tom in Urbana, Illinois. I have a feeling you have one of these deep questions. Go for it. My biggest concern, and I'll try to make this brief, is that I see a lot of red through the center of the country. Is Trumpism going to die with Trump, or are we going to see a resurgence with a Tom Cotton or somebody like that in the future? We don't hear much about the Tea Party anymore. And I'm just uh, interested in what your thoughts are on that. Well, the Tea Party was being run by FreedomWorks and funded in large part by FreedomWorks. And FreedomWorks is the group that about a week after the April 7th article pointing out in the New York Times and everywhere else that black people were dying disproportionately, that was when FreedomWorks started pushing out there, it's time to reopen America plan. And I got an email from uh, FreedomWorks this morning, uh, yesterday actually, uh, uh, you know, about calling people to action and bragging about it. 
pushing people. You know, that whole uh, that whole protest outside the uh, uh, I believe it was Philadelphia, might have been Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania, right. the polling place or the county where they were counting the ballot and people showed up to protest. A lot of that was being organized by FreedomWorks. They're bragging about it in their emails. So, you know, they're still around. I think that we have to realize that Trumpism has a couple of different tranches. And it's worth going through them. Number one, there's the white racist tranche. That's been with us forever. That was the George Wallace Republicans. Back then it was the George Wallace Democrats. Now it's the George Wallace Republicans. They're going to continue. And, and you know, who knows? Tom Cotton may well be their champion or some other Southern white Republican politician. Then secondly, you've got the people who actually have a legitimate economic grievance that has not been answered by either the Republican or Democratic Party. People who have literally watched their jobs go to China. They have seen their factories shut down. In some cases, they even had to train the people who replaced them. The Chinese and the Indians would send people over here to be trained. I mean, you know, this was a big story for about 20 years. This all started in a big way. You know, Reagan was the big cheerleader for this, for neoliberalism, for what's so-called free trade. And then George Herbert Walker Bush negotiated the NAFTA agreement to do it in our hemisphere and proposed giving China most favored nation status. Bill Clinton brought all that into being. So these folks felt betrayed by both the Republicans and the Democrats. One or the other party is going to pick up that mantle. Now, the Democrats, there have been folks in the Democratic Party who have been taking this position forever. But they're the progressives. It's been Bernie Sanders and Sherrod Brown principally carrying this in the Senate. And there's a half a dozen or a couple of dozen people in the House who've been very outspoken about these issues that, you know, we we have to start buying American. We, we've got to stop incentivizing companies. The uh, U.S.-Mexico-Canada tr- trade deal or whatever that Trump signed actually increases the tax break that companies get if they move their operations to Mexico. It made it, made it worse, not better, right? So that tranche of Trump supporters, I think that they, number one, have a legitimate grievance. And number two, one of the two parties is going to decide we're going to keep we're going to pick up these people. If it's the Democrats, or we're going to hang out to these people if it's the Republicans. And that's going to be a potent force going forward. And, so, you know, trade is a huge issue. And, and the Democrats have just completely failed in their in their need in their need to address this issue because of internal debate. You've got, the you know, the corporate Democrats saying free trade is a wonderful thing. And then you've got the progressive Democrats saying, no, we need a certain rational amount of protectionism to, to you know, retain American jobs. The third tranche, essentially, are the so-called social issue folks. You've got the homophobes. I guess you could throw those into the category with the racists. And, uh, you know, and and, and then you've got the religious, you know, people who are religious fundamentalists who uh, either, you know, want to control women, you know, abortion is their whole issue, or they they are looking for the end times. And I I think there's going to be some fracturing there, particularly if the Supreme Court, I keep coming back to this. Um, I'm, I'm not seeing a lot of people speculating about this, but I think this is actually a really big deal that if the Supreme Court strikes down Roe v. Wade, the battle's going to go to the states. And the states are going to settle this fairly quickly, I'm guessing. You're going to have a few states, Louisiana will probably be at the front of that line, where it's basically illegal or almost impossible to get an abortion. You're going to have other states where it's widely available. And people will simply just cross state lines to get abortions, at least people who can afford it. The big losers, of course, will be poor people. Um, But, you know, poor people never got much media attention. But my point is that 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 abortion as an issue that the Republican Party can use to consistently win elections by bringing along their religious base is going to fade away. 
in my opinion. And that's why I think, and I think that they've known this since 1980 when Reagan made this one of the cornerstones of his campaign and, and really amped it up in 1984, that, that as long as they can keep abortion legal, they can scream, yell and scream about it. But once abortion becomes illegal, then they've got a problem because a lot of, a lot of people are going to be seriously pissed off about it and really you know, upset and concerned about it. And everybody just thought, oh, yeah, those guys are just crazy. You know, we can ignore them. Um, you know, it ain't going to happen. It's the Supreme Court. Well, now it's here. Now it's real. So I think, frankly, Tom, what's going to happen, and thank you for the call, is that the Trump followers and the Trump movement, Trumpism, the, the part that is just bound to Donald Trump himself is a fairly small part of that. It's probably 10 or 20 or 30 percent of the entire Republican electorate. They're going to they're going to follow Trump to a TV network or something. But that's it. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Rennie in Reno, Nevada. Hey, Rennie, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom. I uh, lived most of my life in South Florida, and I even participated in the hanging Chad vote. I wanted to remind all Floridians that have Cuban ancestry that in 1980, a very generous humanitarian Democratic president allowed in 125,000 Cubans. That would be Jimmy Carter, right? That's right. Democratic president for humanitarian rights. And he allowed 125,000 Cubans to come into Florida. We are very puzzled why Cubans traditionally vote Republican. You have any thoughts on that? Well, you know, because the Republicans have been, uh, you know, number one, nakedly courting the Cuban vote. Uh, number two, a lot of the uh, anti-democratic uh, party uh, Cubans. Castro. Uh, well, they're, 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 they're anti-Castro. But I mean, what you're looking at is the people who, who had a lot of money before, before the Cuban Revolution. And they've come to the United States and they want their money back and, you know, they want their property back and all those kind of things. And so, but I think that they're dying out, frankly, Rennie. I, I don't think that they're, 
it seems to me that that that's really what this is all about. You know, it's it's who is on top in Cuba. But I don't know. I, I don't pretend to be an expert on the Cuban American community, but it's a community that Democrats need to pay more attention to. Frankly, I think you know because I agree. Right. I agree. Jim yes, I agree. And I think you need to remember that a Democratic president was the one who really allowed all of that to happen. And they shouldn't forget. And welcome back. Nine minutes before the hour. Tom Hartman here with you. Bill in Clifton, New Jersey. Hey, Bill, what's up? There might be some good things that come out of this horror show. I think that after the dust settles, people are going to see how disgusting and all the horrible things that these people did to go to any length to try to control everything. And I also think it was a great lesson in civics to get people voting and for us to take state legislatures just like the Republicans do. That's the only way. The, 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 The federal government is impossible to control. But the state governments, if we can control a majority of them, it's great. And we all, you know, it sounds like the Republicans have a big majority, but I think there's something like nine or ten um, that are uh, coalition governments where they have a Republican or Democratic legislature and a governor who's a different party. So I think that there's going to be big inroads and anything to do with Trump his stink is going to be all over the place. There are going to be people called Trump judges. There's going to be people associated with it. And I think it's going to blow up on them in the end. What do you think? Yeah. I agree with you, Bill. Sadly, uh, it, mm-hmm. it looks increasingly like Susan Sarandon was right. Not that anybody wished that outcome, but that uh, Trump has exposed the corruption and rot that has been basically the the course the core of the Demo- of the Republican Party excuse me since 1980 since Reagan since the Reagan administration and now America has figured out who the Republicans really are and that's arguably a good thing the damage it did to our country the cost of that lesson is huge and will continue for years for decades probably for generations but it's a lesson that apparently we needed to learn, sadly. Bill, thanks for the call. Lou in Phoenix, Arizona. Hey, Lou, what's on your mind? Who becomes the leader of the Senate if the composition of the Senate becomes 50-50? If Joe Biden is president, the leader of the Senate would be Chuck Schumer or whoever the Democrats elect, because the tie-breaking vote is the vice president. So whichever party the vice president holds, if you've got a Senate 50-50, that's the party that's going to control the Senate. Oh, well, that's good, because that yeah, will be determined. Yeah. In fact, in the Constitution, on- the vice president's only official job is president of the Senate, which means that the vice president. In fact, this was the argument that they tried to make during the Bush administration. I forget the context. It was something about Dick Cheney's role in things. There was some kerfuffle. And they said, well, Dick Cheney's not actually part. Of- oh, I remember they were trying to hide information. The executive branch was trying to hide information about things that Dick Cheney was doing um, in terms of, you know, lying us into the war and stuff like that. And uh, the White House said, we don't have to release this information because Dick Cheney is not part of the executive branch. He's part of the legislative branch. You're sending the subpoena to the wrong people. He's his only job in the in the Constitution as president of the Senate. Anyhow, back to you, Luke. Forgive them. As you know, on January 5th, there'll be uh, recall elections for the uh, the two candidates for uh, Senate in Georgia. So that's when we'll find out the composition of the Senate. 
Right, not recall runoff. But yes, you're absolutely right. And, and yeah, get ready to watch absolute avalanche of cash being poured into Georgia. Oh, yeah. It's going to get real, real interesting. Lou, thank you for the call. Andy in Minneapolis. Hey, Andy, what's up? Four years ago, around the time you know, Trump got elected the first time, my mom passed away. And then I also had a Tibetan friend who his mother-in-law passed away. And they had a ritual. And, you know, Tibetans are, you know, more in the Buddhist bucket of, of religion. Mm-hmm. And basically what they do is they do a ceremony after 49 days after death where they have, you know, they light a whole bunch of candles. And that apparently in their culture and that religion, and the, what, the, what my interpretation of what I was told is, is it's more like the end of the transition period from death to a better life. Well, 49 days mm-hmm. ago from today, according to what I typed in Google, at least what spits out, out, out to me, it's when Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. And it makes me think that, really? you know, when she had her one last dying wish of, hey, I want my seat replaced after the election, and basically right. Trump went against that, maybe that is some sort of spiritual thing that maybe has been trolling with COVID, with Trump getting COVID and all his White House people. Maybe it has something to do with how the election is going. Oh, he's just, just, just spiraling out of control. And then here's day 49, last day. We might have a winner, a parent winner with Biden. So... It's just ironic that knowing that culture of 49 days after death and then here 49 days after Ruth Bader Ginsburg, we might have a pretty much clear parent winner with Biden. So that's my point. That's that's fascinating. 49 is seven times seven, right? Am I remembering my multiplication tables right? Correct. Or seven times seven, 48. And I believe they pray every seven days, too. I don't, I'm not in the religion. Yeah. I don't practice it, but at least that's my understanding yeah. that some do practice every weeks. seven days, 249. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating stuff, Andy. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. I, I yeah. You know, it's, it's worth, worth scratching your head about. Max in Sacramento. Hey, Max, thanks for watching us on YouTube. What's up? My question was in regards to the, uh, the white working class. Why is it that they overwhelmingly vote against their own economic interests. Like, I have a really hard time wrapping my head around that because, I mean, you remember Obama's tax plans. He said, I'm not going to raise taxes on anybody making over 250000 And then now here, Biden is saying, I'm not going to raise taxes on people making over 400000 I mean, to me, it, it's kind of a no-brainer. I mean, who's really in favor of, like, the working class, regardless of what your skin color is? And for some reason, right. I just can't understand... Why is it that they're over, well, they were overwhelmingly for Trump in 16? Because one of the real propaganda victories of the, of the Republican Party over the last 40 years has been to redefine the understanding, the average person's understanding of economics. You can get, try to get into a conversation with one of these people about, you know, why unions are important, and they'll just yell at you about union bosses, why uh, Trump's taxation policies aren't benefiting them, things like that. The main message that has been communicated to white middle class, working class voters over the last 40 years, first by Reagan when he started his campaign with his whole thing about two little speeches that he was giving in the 1980 election. One was about the welfare queen who drove a pink Cadillac and had a hundred different social security accounts. She literally did not exist. He just made it, he or, or Lee Atwater, somebody made this up out of whole cloth. 
And then the second story that Reagan used to tell was, you know, he would say, how do you feel? Sometimes he would tell it as if it happened, and other times he would ask it as a rhetorical question. How do you feel when you're standing in line at the supermarket and some young buck, which of course means a young black man, is standing in front of you with uh, a whole bunch of uh, steak and beer and paying for it with food stamps? So the message that the Republicans have very effectively planted in the brains of white working class people across this country is that black people are freeloaders and brown people, Hispanics, are stealing your jobs. Now, prior to the 1980s, they were saying black people are stealing your jobs. You know, they pretty much stopped saying that and went with the black people are lazy and they're, and they're just going to have riots with the Reagan administration. That became kind of the official message of Republicans during the Reagan administration. And it's brown people who want to steal your jobs. That's how they summarize the whole thing. And then the famous thing that Republican voters love to say is, you know, I never saw a poor person give somebody a job, which is a complete distortion, you know, of, of reality. I mean, I never, I never saw a rich person get rich without the labor of people who work for them. You know, it's just, you know, in any kind of business context. So that's what's going on. That's how the Republicans have hyper-simplified it. And that's how they get away with this, of getting people to vote against their own economic self-interest. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com Hartman with two N's. NetSuite.com slash Hartman. That's NetSuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Sue, picking up your phone calls here, Dave in Manhattan. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind today? Trump has touted the economy as his, you know, big uh, talking point, you know, the best economy in history, the best economy in the world. And Republican leaders and corporate leaders have all supported that. And all it is is fairy dust on the on the Obama economy and, and tax cuts. And large corporations had to at least go through the motions to support them, you know, hiring a little more, kicking up wages a little more, announcing that things were great. So what is going to prevent the opposite when Biden gets in there? And 
they don't even have to wait until uh, January 20th. They could you know, do it as soon as a, uh, Biden has declared the winner and start dragging their feet, start creating a downturn, and then you know, the, the response will be the exact opposite, and Fox will be only too happy to say, well, look, this is what happens when you, you know, elect a Democrat, and Trump will be on the sidelines doing the same, and it'll just be a, f- a self-fulfilling prophecy. And, you know, I mean, if this is such a great economy, nobody would have been destitute after two months of a lockdown. Yeah. I think what you're describing, Dave, is a very real possibility. I've talked about it before on this program. I think, though, the culprit is somebody other than you think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, corporate America might not like Joe Biden. He's going to raise their taxes. He's going to regulate their pollution. But corporate America right now is in deep trouble. They're just trying to get by from day to day. The guy who owns the keys to the kingdom is Jerome Powell, who mm-hmm. is not an economist. He is a former director of you know, a major investment group that invested in defense industries, you know, the Carlyle Group that George Herbert Walker Bush became president of after he left the White House. That's where uh, Jerome Powell comes from. He's a politician, basically, and, and, a, and a banker. He's not an economist. And so is he going to follow his political instincts and stay you know, in his Republican world and do everything that he can to hurt Joe Biden? And that's fairly easy for the Fed to do. All he has to do is raise interest rates by half a yeah, point right. and boom, right. the economy's right in the toilet. Or is he going to continue to stimulate the economy, keep interest rates low, hang on to those bonds of these giant corporations that he's bought, and even the stock in the giant corporations that he's bought in order to stabilize the stock market? You know, in other words, was he doing all this stuff because he's actually trying to prevent the American economy from getting worse to protect Americans, to give us a, a shock absorber, essentially? Or did he do this stuff because he was a Trump toady and a Republican and he wanted to, you know, and he was doing it on a partisan basis? If the answer yeah. to that turns out to be the former, then going forward, we'll probably just have a continuation of our current economic policies. If, on the other hand, Powell sees himself as a Republican agent or officer or something like that, then I think we have the potential for a real problem. So yeah. that's that's my take on it, uh, Dave. And I think, you know, we'll find this out. We'll certainly know this, I think, by by February, but it's going to. Yeah, take well, you know, they're just thanks you know, a lot. Yeah, I, I expect them to you know, lay the groundwork for, you know, the next you know, Republican wave. And, and that's an easy way to do it. Yeah, he may well do that. We'll see. But uh, we will be doing we will be seeing that with wide open eyes. Dave, thank you for the call. The Trump presidency and the meltdown of the Republican Party over the last and it's really not just the last four years. It's really arguably the last six years because it's what, or five and a half, however long it's been since Trump first declared his candidacy, is that it has shown us, it has shown the American people what most of you and I have known for several decades which is that the Republican Party is not the so-called party of ideas. This is how they branded themselves back in 1980 with the Reagan Revolution. We're the party of ideas. This was, you know, uh, Newt Gingrich's thing in 1996 when he uh, led the takeover of the U.S. House of Representatives. This was arguably a sales pitch that the Tea Party people were putting out in 2009 when they came out in the streets to protest America's first black president and uh, tell us all that uh, we should get our damn government hands off their Medicare. Uh, and Obamacare. The Republican Party has sold itself for a long, long time, and the conservative movement, back to the days of William F. Buckley and Barry Goldwater, have sold themselves, and Russell Kirk, arguably, even in 1951, have sold themselves as the party of ideas. 
But I got to tell you, when I was writing my book on oligarchy, which will be out uh, next spring, The Hidden History of Oligarchy and Tyranny in the United States, I read Russell Kirk's The Conservative Mind. I reread that book that he published in 1951 that, was the, that became the Bible for the entire conservative movement. Right to this day, it is. I reread it, and it was amazing to me, because I'm reading this book, and, I, and he's all this high-sounding, highfalutin rhetoric, but there's no actual idea other than minority rule. I mean, you know, he's ridiculing women voting and participating in the workplace, and he's talking about people who are calling for racial justice are, you know, misguided and, and pushing too fast. Basically, the conservatives have not had a new idea since the end of slavery. Their sales pitch is rich people should run everything, poor people should be slaves. Then ideally we racially segregate those folks. I mean this is this is the conservative movement and and we're you know and always been kind of whispered or spoken of in code. This has been the Republican Party's thing is they sold us racism and classism as it were on behalf of the wealthiest 1% for the better part of 50, 60 years. And up until five years ago, Americans were buying it. They actually believed Paul Ryan was a smart guy who had great ideas. No, Paul Ryan was a huckster and a shill and still is. What was their next big idea? Don't do anything about COVID. Let's open the country back up again. You know, the Koch Brothers Group, the Freedom, Freedom Works, and other groups associated with the Koch Network and right-wing causes leading the charge after April 7th, saying, no, we got to get back to work. we got to open our schools. we got to forget about that COVID virus. Just go to a damn work because the owners of these companies want to make some damn money. So the good thing in my mind that has come out of the Trump presidency and the utter destruction of the Republican Party is that the majority of Americans now know what the agenda is. And across rural red states, you know, the Wyomings of this country, 26 states with a smaller population than Harris County, Texas, according to the New York Times this morning, in these rural red states, the largely white populations, they understand this, and they're like, yeah, we're down with that. And the rest of America, the America that really hadn't been paying attention to politics, the maybe 60 or 70 percent of America who just kind of catch the news every now and then and only pay attention in the last month before an election, they now understand that the only, quote, idea that conservatives and Republicans have is to stop people from voting or if they do vote to stop their vote from being counted and that therefore we need a right to vote and that the second idea that the conservatives have is to screw working people to destroy union rights to destroy long-term unemployment to you know all these steps that they're taking and they're doing a lot of this through the judiciary because they can't get it through legislatures. They can't get it through Congress because it's so obscenely unpopular. So what's their strategy? Let's pack the federal courts and the state courts as well, by the way. This is going on in the red states all over the country. 
but in particular, pack the federal courts with, in many cases, patently unqualified judges. According to the American Bar Association, unqualified. Pack them with these young judges. All, to the best of my knowledge, all of the judges that uh, Mitch McConnell has run through in the last couple of years have been white conservatives. I think there was one, one African-American that uh, made it through. But, you know, outside of that, all young white conservatives who will be on the bench for decades. This is his legacy, Mitch McConnell. He's quite proud of it, that workers are going to be screwed for the next two generations, that women's rights will be in trouble for the next two generations, that workers' rights will become irrelevant. It'll be a phrase that doesn't even matter anymore, that civil rights will be torn down, that the ability of state and local governments to hold wealthy business owners to account is radically minimized. That it, Did you know that if you earn less than $50,000 a year, you're five times more likely to be audited than if you earn more than a half a million a year? They're, under the Trump administration, they're auditing average people rather than millionaires and billionaires. This is the conservative idea. This is the Republicans' idea. And in a way, I'm thankful that America is now figuring it out. It took a disaster, but sometimes it takes a disaster to wake people the hell up, which is what's going on. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 